If you have your Bible, we'll be in James 1, James chapter 1, and I've, I have known your pastor for, I think, at least over three decades, and other than some facial hair, I don't know that he's changed much at all since then, um, and we went to rival uh, Christian schools, and as I recall, his soccer teams typically beat our soccer teams, but I, I won't hold that against him or be bitter uh, this morning. Uh, but it really is a privilege and honor for us to be here with you all. And I know a lot of our students made sacrifices from summer jobs to, to come here and, and earning the money to, to come on the trip. And I know a lot of the sponsors, uh, either their small business or their job, they're taking some time off and some vacation because uh, we have been praying for and, and looking for God's continued blessing on this ministry as we're interconnected with you as a sister church uh, with even Side Baptist in our last name, uh, Morningside and Northside, or North Hills, sorry, North Hills Baptist, but we've been um, looking forward to this trip for a long time. So um, I, I do want to, uh, to admit that there are some differences between Texas and South Carolina. Um, I thought South Carolina was hot coming from the Midwest, and then we got here and 107 degrees, but I think we beat you all in humidity, so it's probably about, about the same real feel. Um, and I, I noticed, too, because growing up in Indiana, everything's flat, but it's cornfields, so it's flat and green, whereas here, I think they say everything's bigger in Texas, and the sky just literally seems so much bigger. And I remember talking to a woman one time in Dallas who was from my wife's hometown, Raleigh, North Carolina. And I said, so what's the difference between Raleigh and Dallas? And she said, when I go home to Raleigh, I feel like I'm in a green tunnel after being in, in Dallas this long. And so um, the other thing is about 20 years ago in 2002, I was in Abilene, Texas. It was really hot. It was July, just like this. And so I went to go to the hotel swimming pool. I was about to have LASIK surgery, so I wasn't able to wear my contacts, and I'd taken off my glasses, and I, I'd get in the pool for a swim, and I came face-to-face with the biggest rat I've ever seen in my life. And um, we were in Dallas a few days later, and I talked to a youth pastor there, and he said, yeah, we call them possum rats. He's like, everything's bigger in Texas, so even the rats are bigger down here. Um, but even though there are differences, obviously, between the states that we're in, uh, as believers, we face the same temptations. Um, and I heard a story about a little white-haired lady who came up to a pastor after a service, which is pretty typical of little white-haired ladies to come up <laughs> after, and, and she complimented him on his sermon, and she said, Pastor, that was a, a wonderful sermon. And if she'd stopped there, it would have been fine. Um, but then she said, everything you said applies to someone I know. <laughs> so she was literally listening to, to every application of the sermon and thinking of someone that she knew. And, and really, isn't that how we often listen to God's word? We think about how, I, I hope my wife is getting this, or I hope my kids are getting this, or I hope my parents heard that. Um, and, and James, in this letter, is writing to... Christians who are persecuted, who are dispersed. He says in verse 2, count it all joy when you go through various trials. And if, if we went around the room like we did last hour, uh, we could all not only tell you where we're from, how many kids we have, 
uh, what we do for a living, but we could also tell you about various trials that we're going through, maybe related to our work, maybe related to our kids, um, <laughs> that, that we're undergoing. And as believers, we're all going through various trials, but he says that, that what you need is God's wisdom. What you need is God's word. And at the end of verse 21, he says that word literally has the power to save your soul. So this is a powerful word. This is the word of God that we hold in our hands. But then he gives this caveat. He says in the next verse, but it's not enough to, to merely hear the word. You have to be a what? A doer of the word. So you actually have to take God's word, apply it to your life, put it into action. And so that's the first thing we're going to see is that hearing the word and not doing it leads to self-deception. Look at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. That word hearer has the idea of auditing a class. Did any of you audit a class? Maybe in college or, okay, a couple of us. Um, so for those of you who haven't, all of you rising juniors and seniors, when you rise into college, you can audit a class which means you don't have to do any of the work. So you don't have to take quizzes, you don't have to take tests, you don't have to turn in projects, you don't have to worry about the final exam. However, you're like, that sounds pretty good because I audit all of college. The problem is that class then doesn't count toward the completion of your degree program. So that class doesn't help you earn your diploma. And uh, you, you can't become a, a nurse or an accountant or engineer or whatever you're pursuing whatever degree or career path by just auditing. So it's, it's informative, it's enriching, but you don't get credit for just hearing. And that's what James is saying here. You can't audit God's word. You can't just be a mere hearer. You actually have to be a doer. Now, the believers that, that James is writing to were Jewish believers, and so they, most of them, grew up as little kids, and, and many of us had this experience if we had godly families, learning God's word. So they knew the Torah. They read the Torah. They memorized the Torah. And, and, and in, a, in a similar way, many of us have opportunities to hear God's word all the time. This week, what holiday did we celebrate? Fourth of July, Independence Day, that we as a nation have independence. We have freedom. My uh, I have a common ancestor to Davy Crockett who helped fight for your freedom as Texans <laughs> so that, that we can be free to assemble, uh, to worship, to, to proclaim God's word openly. And as a result, many of us have access literally to unlimited teaching, Bible teaching, Christian radio, podcasts. We can literally listen to and receive God's word and Christian content 24-7. And, and hopefully you do that. I mean, hopefully this is something that as you go through the week, you're listening to Christian music, you're, you're reading God's Word as you probably have multiple copies of it in your home, you're listening to God's Word, you're listening to Christian podcasts, you're listening to Christian radio, you are consuming, consuming God's Word. But again, we don't get credit simply for, for receiving God's Word. James is actually going to say that's dangerous to receive, 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 merely receiving God's word 
James is going to say that's, that's dangerous. You say, well, what's so dangerous about hearing God's word? He says the danger is if you hear and you hear, but you're just listening and you're never doing, you're never actually applying it to your life, you could actually deceive yourself. So, so it's easy for us to think, I, I go to church every Sunday. I serve in my church. It was amazing to hear how every one of you at North Hills is serving in some capacity. And I'm thankful for students in our youth group who are serving in lo- their local church. But you could say, I, I come to church, uh, I, I, I listen to sermons, I must be a good Christian. Look, I'm here this morning. Some of, some of you could say, I'm, I came over a thousand miles to be here this morning at North Hills Baptist Church on this particular Sunday. But James would say, no, you don't get credit for merely auditing. If, if all you do is hear the word and then go out and live however you want, if it doesn't change you, if, if you're not a doer of the word, you've actually deceived yourself. So James is less concerned with how many sermons you hear how many classes you sit through, how much you talk about your faith. James is actually going to say, show me your works. You can talk all you want about your faith, but I'm going to see your faith when I see your work. Show me the gospel transforming you into a new creation. Because God isn't impressed with our self-righteousness. God's not impressed with hypocrisy. If, If you're hearing the word and not being transformed, then he says, you're self-deceived. And so he gives us an illustration in verse 23. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word, merely a hearer, and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face. That is the face you were born with. For some of you, that's a good thing. For others of us, maybe not as good. Uh, But it's like observing your face in a mirror. So James says that when you look at your life in the Word of God, through the lens of God's Word, it's like you look in the mirror in the morning. Hopefully all of you this morning, when you got up, looked in the mirror. Uh, Maybe you spent a lot of time. Maybe some of you team members are like, "This, this girl or this guy on the team spent too much time looking in the mirror, didn't give me enough time to look in the mirror. But what what we do is we get up um, and usually we look at our phone And then we go to the bathroom and we look at our face in the mirror. Uh, One survey found that over the course of a lifetime, Americans spend on average seven years in the bathroom. Not sure how they gathered that information, but apparently we spend a lot of time in the, the bathroom preparing ourselves for the day. So you get up in the morning, you look at your phone, then you go into the bathroom, you look in the mirror, and and basically you assess the damage. You behold your natural face, the face you were born with. You behold your natural hair. For some of us, it's not as much as we used to have. Uh, and, and the hair that you slept in. And, and you look at the damage and you say, oh, wow. And then you spend the next several minutes, maybe hour, getting to work. Uh, and, and for some, it's, it's almost a construction zone. It's a work of art. Then fixing that oh wow that you saw in the mirror with products and with war paint, whatever it takes uh, to, to make that oh wow look the way you want it to so you can present yourself when you, you go outside. But what if 
James says in verse 24, what if this man observes himself and goes his way and immediately forgets, or really the idea there is he intentionally forgets what kind of man he was. Now, notice James uses the pronoun he. So he's talking about some guy who rolls out of bed in the morning. He looks in the mirror and he's like, I need to shave. Um, I've got body odor. I've got bedhead. He assesses the damage in the mirror and he says, oh, wow. But then he's, he's lazy or he's in a hurry or for whatever reason he says, oh, well, I'll forget about it. So James says that that's, that's how some of us approach God's word. It's the mirror that we see our lives reflected in. It shows us where we're wrong. It shows us what we need to change. And, and as you come to church and Pastor Vandaliter is faithfully teaching and preaching God's word, many times as you hear God's word taught and applied to your life, you're going to say, oh, wow. I've got some work to do. Oh, wow, that's an area that I need to change. But how often do we just say, oh, well. So Hebrews 4.12 tells us the word of God is living, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. As the Holy Spirit who breathed out that word is working in our heart, he's going to convict us, he's going to show us the thoughts and intents of our heart. He's going to show us these are areas where I need to change. And so maybe God's word has done that. And you can think of a time when you were listening to a sermon, you were listening to preaching, you were just reading your Bible, and all of a sudden you said, oh, wow, I am proud. Oh, wow, I'm selfish. Oh, wow, I have a lust problem. Oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. But then you get to the end of the sermon and you say, oh, well, I'll just forget about it. James says, you would never do that physically. In fact, as you think about it, most of us have on your, your cabinet, uh, in your cabinet or on your counter, a lot of products that you have purchased, you specifically paid money for, and you've laid out to deal with the oh wow of your face in the morning. So they're, they're hair products, they're other moisturizing products, things that you have laid out. And when you travel, you carry an oh wow bag with you that, that you don't want to go one morning with... with being seen in public without addressing the oh wow on your face, James says that's how you should treat God's word. That you shouldn't want to go a single morning without fixing the oh wow in in your heart. As you apply God's word to your heart every single morning, you should say, if I see somewhere that I need to change, if I say oh wow, I need to do that, I need to change that, I need to resist that temptation, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow, He says, you better not just say, oh, well, and walk away, because if you do, you're deceiving yourself. It would would be like getting up and looking in the mirror. And sometimes I've looked in the mirror, and I'll have like this weird hair that just popped out of my forehead, like almost overnight. And so let's say you you wake up in the morning, and you look in the mirror, and there is this, this patch of hair in between your eyebrows. And it's kind of gnarly, and the, the hairs are going different directions. And so you look at that, and you say, oh, wow, I, I need to, to shave that. I need to pluck that. I need to get rid of that. But then you say, oh, well. And so you, you come to church, and someone's at the door to greet you. And as they're welcoming you and your family into the church, you're walking in. 
this is a friend of yours and they say, hey, can I pull you to the side? And, and you say, sure. And they say, did, did you know you've got this kind of crazy unibrow going on right now? Like, um, did you know about that? And you say, yeah, yeah, I, I saw it this morning when I looked in the mirror. Um, but, but oh, well, I, I, you know, I was in a hurry, so I'm just not going to do anything about it. So you come into church and you listen to the preaching and then you get together maybe with your friends or in a smaller group Sunday afternoon and uh, one of your friends looks at you and says, did you know you've got this, this unibrow going on? Like there's some crazy hair in between your eyebrows right now. And, and, and you say, yeah, yeah, I, I know about it, but um, I, I, I just don't really want to do anything. And, and they say, well, look, I've got this tool on my Swiss Army knife. Like you could go to the bathroom. You could fix it right now. You could take care of it. Um, do, do you want to do something about it? And you say, no, I, you know, I, I know it's there, and I know that people have been staring at me and talking behind my back, and no one's making eye contact, but um, no, I, I, I don't think I'm going to worry about it. And that night, your family, you're having family devotions, and you're gathered around the supper table, and your kids are saying, Dad, can you, can you do something about the unibrow? And, and you say, no, you know, you know, people think that there's a caterpillar growing on my forehead and they're calling me Bert from Sesame Street, but um, I just, I, I, kn- I know I should do something about, why don't you guys just, just pray for me? Uh, just, just pray that, that I'll be able to get rid of this. And they're like, but dad, you could go to the bathroom. You've got a razor. You could take care of it right now. Why, why don't you just go in and do something about it? And you say, no, I'd, I'd rather people just talk about it and, and make it a prayer request that I can keep bringing up every week. And James says, look, that's crazy. You're, you're deceiving yourself. Don't just pray about it. Don't just talk about it. By God's help, with the Holy Spirit, repent, make the change, and by God's grace, go the other direction. Do something about that sin. So, so some of us this morning, we know this is a besetting sin in my life. This is a lust that you're indulging. This is a temptation that you're, you're falling for week in and week out. Maybe it's a habitual sin that you're harboring, that you're feeding. It's an addiction that you're developing. You know it's wrong. You, you know what God's Word says about it. You know that you should repent, but you, you just minimize it and make excuses. You try to forget about it, intentionally try to forget about it. Maybe you even admit it's there, and, and that makes you feel good. You say, well, look, I'm, I'm being honest, I'm being transparent, I'm talking about what I saw in the mirror week in and week out to the same group of people, and James says, that's not, that's not really honesty, you're actually deceiving yourself. It doesn't matter how many times you say, I could or I should, you have to submit to God's Word, because hearing the Word and not doing it over and over again, James says that actually leads to self-deception. And then he says, second, the reverse is that hearing the word and doing it leads to blessing. Look at verse 25. But he who looks, and, and the Greek word there for looks has the idea of looking intently. Maybe some of you have a looking intently mirror or your mom or grandma had one, one of those round mirrors that has a light, a ring of light around it, 
and it has these, this magnification uh, that, that you can look into that mirror and it just magnifies everything on your face. You look at your pores and they look like caves. Uh, if you turn it at the right angle, you can look up a nostril and see your brain through this, <laughs> this looking intently mirror that is made to show you every single blemish, every single flaw on your face in massive magnified detail. And, and that's what James says, that's what you should do when you read God's Word. It shouldn't just be this, this superficial, shallow, cursory glance in the morning just so you can check a box and say, I had devotions. Yeah, I, I, I think I was listening to that on my Bible version app. I think I know what it said. But you're not really looking into God's Word. You're not listening and looking intently and saying, how does God's Word apply to my life? You're just basically checking a box. He says, no, you need to look at God's Word like it's a magnifying mirror, like the psalmist who says, search me, Lord, and try me. Take, take your Word and try me against your Word. Search out my heart against what your Word says. I delight in the law of the Lord. I meditate on it day and night. So the psalmist there is saying, I look at it intently. I'm searching how does my life line up to God's will and God's word. Now what's interesting is he calls it the law of what? In verse 25. The law of liberty. Now, you, you say, well, I thought that the Bible was actually narrow and restrictive. When I think of being liberated and free, and this is how the world looks at at Christians, they think you people are so narrow. You have your this old ancient book, two thousand years old, and you're trying to live by that. That's narrow and restrictive. That's the opposite of freedom and liberty. But James actually says, no, God's word and God's law is actually liberty. Now remember too, James again, he's writing to Jewish people, former Jews who've converted to Christianity, many of whom. Their religion was all about this outward facade of conformity, that we keep these rituals, we go through these rules, we put up this facade, we look a certain way, we have the little curly cue, you know, sideburns, we, we wear the right tassels on our clothes, and if we do that, then God will accept us. And, and, and James is saying, look, my half-brother Jesus came into the world to establish a new covenant that's internal, that God's law is written in our hearts. Jesus says, I'm going to send the Spirit to live inside of you. He's going to change you from the inside out. So yeah, the externals are going to change, but, but not from the outside in. I'm going to change you from the inside out. So James says, the law of liberty will actually free you internally from the bondage of sin. God's law is liberating. I re remember when, when I was young and Pastor Vandaliner and I were PKs in central Indiana and I would hear my pastor, my parents, my youth pastor opening God's word and saying this is how God defines gender roles. This is how God defines your gender identity. This is how God defines sexual boundaries. This is how you should steward your body. This is how you should steward your money and your time according to God's word. And then I would look at what my friends were doing. And, and how they were dating and how sexuality was portrayed on TV. And if I wasn't walking in the Spirit, 
it was very tempting for me to think, this seems so restrictive. This seems so narrow. This seems like we're just slavishly following these ancient words from an ancient time. But now that I'm older and I look back at all of the guilt and the shame and the regret and the brokenness that I didn't have to bring into my marriage, when, when I look at, at that, I say, I'm, I'm glad I listened to my parents. I'm glad I listened to my pastor. I'm glad most of all I listened to God's word that God has designed us for human flourishing. God has designed us a certain way. And as we listen to God's word, it's actually the law of liberty. It frees us in our finances. It frees us in our sexuality. It frees us in our relationships. It, it's, it's the word, it's the law that gives freedom. But we have to be a doer of God's word. If we refuse to do God's word, he says you're actually being self-deceived to hear it and not do it. If you say, I'm going to hear it, I'm going to receive it, and let it transform my life, he says that brings blessing. Look at, at verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not an intentionally forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And James here may well have been remembering what his half-brother Jesus, same mom, Mary, different fathers, what his half-brother Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and what? Does them, I will compare him to a wise man who built his house upon a rock. So Jesus says, if you want to be wise, build your life on a solid foundation. This is a foundation that will lead to liberty, to freedom, to blessing. Don't just hear Christ's words, but actually do them. I, I want you to imagine if I started a company and I hire you at first as just an assistant. And so we've got this small local business and pretty soon the business is growing, it's getting bigger, and at some point it becomes a national brand. And then I say, hey, um, I really want this to become an international brand. We're going to build a partnership uh, with, a, with, with France. So my family and I are going to leave. We're going to go to France. And as we're going to be gone for a year, in the meantime, I want you to run the company. Uh, I, I want to promote you to be executive vice president. And, and you look at me and you say, well, I've, I've been assisting you. I've been helping you. But I don't, I don't know how to run the company. Uh, I, haven't, I don't have executive experience. How am I going to do that? And you say, well, don't, don't worry. Um, I say, I'll, I will tell you every single day what to do. I'll send you an email, and that email will have detailed instructions of what clients to meet with that day, of what operations to structure that day, uh, who you should be meeting with, what you should be pursuing. As long as you just follow those instructions, I'll send you an email every single day. You'll do fine. It's remote work. We're post-COVID. This should be easy. You should be able to do this. And so sure enough, I leave, and every day, faithfully, I send you an email, and every day you faithfully open the email, read the email, and reply and say, I got the email. Thank you so much. You, you assure me you've received the email. And so a year goes by. And after a year, I, I come back, and my family is getting settled back into our home, and I'm so excited to tell you about the new opportunities in France. But when I drive up to the company headquarters, I notice something's wrong. 
and I look out and the grass that used to be pristine and perfectly cut looks overgrown. In fact, it looks like it's been growing for a year, like no one's cut it. And, and I go up to the doors of the company headquarters and I go to get my badge to swipe in and I realize I don't have, have to use it. The door is actually ajar. It's open. And I walk into the lobby and everywhere I look, there's, there's trash, there's a mess. I, I go to the receptionist behind the counter. She doesn't even notice me. She's playing Candy Crush on her phone and, and listening to music on AirPods. And, and I'm wondering, what is going on? And so I take the elevator and I go up to the executive wing and I walk into the executive vice president office that we had just put your name on the door before I left a year ago. And you are sitting at the desk with your feet propped up next to the CFO playing video games on a big screen on the wall. And, and I walk into the room and I say, what's going on? And, and you turn around and you're kind of startled and you say, what do you mean? And I say, well, I mean, what's happened? Have you been maintaining anything that I, I've asked you to do while I was gone? Did you get my emails? And you just look at me almost confused and offended and you say, yeah, I got your emails. Don't you remember every time you sent me an email, I, I replied. I got all of your emails. In fact, those emails, I knew they must be important to you for you to send those every single day. I read, I had the whole team would gather together and we would read through every single one of your emails. In, in fact, that's how we would start the morning was reading from your emails. We, we knew this was so important to you. We actually broke up into small groups and we studied your emails and we discussed the emails that you wrote. I mean, there was some really good stuff in there. And then you say, actually, I, I don't want to brag, but some of us memorize sentences of your emails. And, and some even memorize whole paragraphs uh, of the emails. But we, we, we would memorize them by date and by subject line. And, and I mean, people could just recall those paragraphs from your emails. We even set up email quiz teams and we would quiz each other on the emails that you'd sent. And I say, okay, okay that's... That's good. You, you got my emails. You, you read my emails. You understood them. But what did you do about them? And you, you kind of shrug your shoulders and you say, do about them. We didn't do anything. Jesus tells a similar parable in Luke chapter 12. He says, there was a master who sent, set up his steward over his whole household, his whole company, and then he leaves. And Jesus says in verse 43, when the master comes back, he says, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Hearing the word and doing it leads to blessing. And then Jesus concludes, for everyone to whom much is given, from him shall much be required. As, as I look at this church family that God's called together, I'm so thankful for believers who are assembling together even after covid that every Lord's Day you are coming together with your children, with your families, you are assembling and you are hearing God's word faithfully preached, faithfully taught by Pastor Vandalander, Sunday in, Sunday out. I'm thankful as I look out for, for husbands and fathers who are faithfully teaching the word to your, your kids. You're opening the word and having family devotions, having a time of family worship. You're teaching God's word to your kids. 
James would say, that's wonderful, that's great. As believers, we need to gather, we need fellowship, we need to hear God's word, but then we need to take one more step, and that is we need to actually do it. That if, if we don't do it, we're being self-deceived. Because he knew that, again, his half-brother, Jesus Christ, was the Son of God who died and rose again, not to make us good readers, not to make us good hearers, but to actually transform us into new creations. And James says for that to happen, you can't be just a hearer, you have to be a doer. The only way that you can do what God demands is because of what Christ has already done. It's when we, by faith, actually receive that transforming grace that Christ has enable, enables us to become these new creations. It, it's because of the gospel that we have the ability to walk in wisdom from above. It's because of the gospel that you can be a doer and not a hearer. And so I would encourage you this morning, as you hear God's word, as the Holy Spirit works in your heart, submit to the Holy Spirit. Listen to, to his conviction. Listen to his work and let him change you. Be, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us not to be self-deceived. And so often, Father, we, we see a culture around us that is so anti-Scripture, anti-Your Word, anti-Your Son, that we often think as long as, as I'm opening my Bible, as long as I'm attending church, as long as I'm hearing the Word, that's enough. But, Father, help us not to be self-deceived. Help us not to merely hear the Word superficially. Help us to stare intently at it. Help us to abide in it. Help us to delight in it. And we pray that your Spirit would work in our hearts, would change us to become more conformed to the image of, of your Son through your Word. We pray that you would help us to be doers of the Word, not hearers only. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. We invite you to remain bowed.